We will begin with an invocation and the Our Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Pastor Rody has asked me to fill in for him this morning, for at least for the 11 o'clock class. Uh, for those of you listening online, I'm Vicar Belcher, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you all this morning. So we will pick up with our study of Second Kings, and uh, as Bob asked, we are we stopped right at chapter 19, verse 1, and I thought we would do just a brief recap of what happened last time we met. So uh, we have the beginning of Hezekiah's reign in Judah, and of course he comes after the wicked king Ahaz, who plunges the whole southern kingdom into idolatry. And we've already seen the fall of Israel in the north, in the northern kingdom. Uh, and that happened in 722 BC. And now Hezekiah begins his reign. I'm not sure what year exactly. Um, okay, here we go. Um, 701 BC, I believe. Yep, I believe that's right. Well, okay, that's that's when Sennacherib attacks Judah. Okay, so it was before that. Okay, so in any case, so we see um, Sennacherib coming up against Judah uh, and threatening to completely wipe out even the southern kingdom as well, uh, just as he did with the northern kingdom. And you can kind of see, if you take a look on page 615 of your Lutheran Study Bible, if you happen to have it, you can kind of get a, a feel for the lay of the land here and, and just how um, dominating the Assyrian war machine was. And you see, so they, they would have come down from the north, so there you have Damascus uh, as a provincial uh, capital, and then you, you have Megiddo, and uh, Samaria, you see these are provincial capitals, and Ashdod all the way to the left near the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And um, so that, there was just this crushing downward march as the Assyrians came down and just wiped everything out, and they've established these strongholds, and they are on the cusp of even taking Jerusalem. Um, and, and menacing as they were, this would have been absolutely terrifying to the, the people of Jerusalem. And so we have here the, uh, the Rabshakeh here uh, taunting the people of, of Jerusalem. And uh, we'll just do a, a brief run-through of, of everything that he had to say. So starting in 18 verse 28, uh, Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. 
and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So this, this is, um, I think Pastor Rodi is quite, quite right in suggesting that this is an antichrist type of figure. Uh, so what you have here is an official, probably based on the, 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 uh, the term that's used in the Hebrew, um, the chief spokesperson. So perhaps he was accompanied by, and probably was, accompanied by a troop, maybe a cadre of other spokespeople, you know, who would bear messages uh, for the king, maybe transcribing things, you know, who, who knows. But what you have with this Rab Sheka, this is a technical term, this is a, an official from the, um, the Assyrian Empire, from the one from the king. And, you know, the way that they did business in the ancient world, you would have people who um, were authorized to do business in the name of the king. Okay, so go and, they, they, like, this person with this authority had the, uh, the ability to go and make treaties, uh, trade deals, um, all of these sort of things with the, the authority of the king. Um, and you would speak to him as, you know, one who bore that authority. You know, he was somebody who was very eminent and someone to be uh, regarded as a, you know, an official, a royal official at that, someone who was in the, in the court of a foreign king. So the fact that this guy is coming out so boldly to the people of Jerusalem, no doubt the king of Assyria had, uh, you know, Sennacherib had handpicked this guy, and, he, you know, with his temperament and everything like that, you know, this, he, basically this is the representation of the king before the people of Jerusalem. So uh, a very haughty man, a very prideful man, and you, you see that in his words. So... Right, right off at right, right at the beginning. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. Do not let him uh, make you trust in the Lord. So there, there's a huge problem there. You know, nothing good that comes after that, or not nothing good will come after that. So uh, let's continue in verse thirty-one. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria: Make your peace with me, and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat his own vine. Uh, of his own vine, and each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land, your, a land like your own land. All right, so let's just stop right here. Okay, so make your peace with me, right? So this, this has the idea of uh, shalom, so make your peace, so you become whole, become one with me, really. Um, be at peace with me rather than anything that Yahweh or Hezekiah would have to offer. You know, don't, don't look at those people and, and, and the Lord. Look at, look at me and the king of Assyria. Okay. Uh, come out to me. Okay. So this is, yeah, the idea of being called out, right, from this city, from that place of trust in the Lord's domain. And, and go to a different place. So you, you notice there's a, there's, a geog there's, there's a geographical aspect going on here, and this is something that I want us to pay attention to as we go forward. But then look at the imagery that he brings out here. Then each one of you will eat of, of his own vine, and each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern. So basically what we're to see here is this complete safety and security. You know, if you make peace with the king of Assyria and you and you just s submit without any bloodshed, but give yourself into my hand, 
you will be completely secure and at peace until I come and take you away, right? It's this false promise of, of prosperity, of uh, yeah, security and, and dwelling with all of your own possessions. And, uh, you know, it's uh, very indicative of the nature of sin too, because sin is pleasurable for a season. Uh, and then, and, and then it's all taken away. It's all completely hollow. Because what you see, and, and you see this here too, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land. Okay, so let's think, I, I want to ask you guys a question. Let's think like a Jew would, having heard this. What would be a problem immediately upon hearing someone say this, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land? So they'd be going away from... Away from their land, yeah, and why would that be bad? The temple, yeah. Right, but why, like, why is that important? God gave it to them, yes, yes. The promises associated with the land, this is where the Messiah was going to come, you see. So all of the, all of this land, the promised land, I mean, you got to remember, this goes all the way back to Abraham. You know, go and leave the land of your fathers to a land that I will show you, right? And God gave this land, they, you know, they drove out, out from Egypt, right? They, they came out from Egypt and can't enter the promised land into the land that God gave them, that promised them. You know, the Messiah would come from this very place. And so really their life would come from the land. You know, their salvation is very intimately tied with the land. And that's why if you were to go to a Jew today and offer them let's just say, you know, I was king of, uh, of North America, and I say to all the Jews, I will gladly give you Southern California in its entirety if you give me the land of Israel. They would all say, no, there's no way. They, they would never do that because in their mind, the king or the, the Messiah is, is, is linked to the promised land. That's, that's where their salvation is going to come, you see. So... Um, yeah, th this would basically be a rejection of all the promises of God's deliverance and healing and wholeness and everything that the Messiah comes to bring. Um, it would be a forsaking of all of those things if they were to leave this land. So, uh, yeah, big problem, big problem here. Um, but you can see the appeal. You can see the appeal because, uh, you know, in this devastated, in this devastating time of warfare, you know, the way that the ancients did warfare was they would often destroy the countryside as kind of a psychological thing. You know, if you think about it, you have farms, like generational farms that you would tend, and that was your, your, your source of sustenance and life and your crops. And, you know, you take these things to market and trade and that kind of thing. And so, you know, when these foreign powers would come in and invade and destroy these things, I mean, that's, that is a psychological, that's like, that, that's my property. That's, this is, this is my family's livelihood here. That's going up in smoke. Um, and of course they saw, no, no doubt they heard the reports of the devastation of the Northern Kingdom and how, you know, that, that would no doubt come to the, the people of the, of the countryside of Jerusalem. So this, you know, this, this, <laughs> this Rabshakeh is holding out a carrot here and he's got the stick behind his back. He's saying, okay, this is what you want. And if you don't take it, this is, you know, you're going to be wiped out. This is going to be really bad, really bad for you. All right, so let's continue. 
until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, right? So exile from, from Jerusalem to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. So what immediately sticks out to me right here is you have a land of grain and wine, wine a land of bread and vineyards. So uh, throughout the, especially the Old Testament scriptures, but all throughout all the Bible, um, bread is a symbol of sustenance, and wine is a symbol of feasting. Okay, so with this land that that this Rav Sheka is promising, who knows? You know, I mean, they have to take his word for this. But um, what he's offering them is not only peace and security, but sustenance and even feasting. Right, so he's really putting this out there for him. Hey, look, if if you come out and make your peace, if you make your shalom with me, this is what's gonna this is what you can expect to have. Right? And it's really I was talking with Pastor Rodi about this last week, and this is really like a false sacrament here. Right? I'm sure some of you made that I see one nodding her head over here. Yes, that's this is like a false sacrament. Um I don't, I don't know that we should see forgiveness of sins, like, directly in mind, but, you know, peace, you know, this, this idea of shalom, wholeness, and restoration, and health, and well-being. I mean, that's, that's, what's, that's what's in mind here. But isn't that the same, isn't that the same kind of, the same wording in Genesis? Because that's what he said. Oh, you surely won't die. Yeah, right, right. Well, yeah, exactly. That's that, that's a great point, and you can you can see who's really behind, like spiritually. Who who is the spiritually the spiritual force animating this Rabshaka, and really the whole kingdom of Assyria? It's it's the devil, you know, because ultimately all conflict is between the de God and the devil, and um, you know, it's the devil also has his prophets. You see. Um, so I wanted to point out as well a land of olive trees and honey. So olive trees in the ancient world were uh, very important, very well, uh, very familiar trees that you know when you when you have olive oil, this was very this was often uh, medicinal. You would put this on wounds, and um, they would anoint their head as well, kind of like we do with shampoo. Uh, you know, it has a restorative effect as you as you put it on yourself. It's like lotion, kind of. Um, so th this was a very common thing and thing, something that was familiar and even necessary for their day-to-day -day life. And honey uh, was a delicacy. You, you see here sort of the, the sweetness of, the, of this whole picture. And I don't know if, it, if, it's, if it's just honey that comes from bees that's in mind here, because I also know that uh, they would make syrup from dates. And this, I, I think that's also kind of what might be in mind here too, which is a symbol of this agricultural abundance, right? So he's really painting a picture like Eden. I mean, he's, he's showing them, look, if th this is what you can expect. Um, food in abundance and peace and security and health and, and all of these things, that's what, that's what I'll give you if you come away from this land and don't trust in Yahweh. That's, it, it is very much demonic. What, what, yes, yes. What comes to mind to me is I heard in breathing. Okay. 
I heard in, when they were relocating Jews to the camps in the Second World War, they said to them, this is a terrible place to live. We're going to take you out to farms where you can really have. And so it's been repeated to them over and over and over in this great lie. Yeah, that's, I didn't know that they did that. Thank you for, thank you for bringing that out. My goodness. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, the carrot and the stick. Yeah, method. Yeah. That's that's exactly what Probably it is. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and human beings are want to fall victim to that. Really. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't the expression "it's always greener"? The grass is always greener. You know. I mean, that's people do think that way. And and if you put yourselves in the people of Jerusalem's position at this point, they've got this again this crushing, dominating war machine that has come and wiped out completely, not just the northern kingdom of Jerusalem of, of uh, Israel, but all kinds of cities in Assyria and even into Mesopotamia. You know, I mean, this was an overwhelming force. And, and probably the, this Rabshakeh thinks that he's doing the humane thing. You know, consi consider all of this destruction and look at what I'm holding out to you. You'd be foolish not to take. I mean, this is the logical thing to do. Think of your children, you know, this, this sort of thing. He's, I mean, because this isn't just like a one-time, like, like just, you know, the, the people immediately in front of you are going to benefit. I mean, we're talking generational kind of uh, benefits here being offered, you know. But uh, in any case, thank you for bringing that out. I, it it, it uh, resonates with this text very much, I think. So, any other comments before you keep going? All right, let us continue then. Okay, so uh, olive trees and honey that you may live and not die. Yeah, there you go. So you, that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? And so here you see this, this, this sort of um, theology where, um, you, you know, these, he's saying, look at, look at all of these other gods, these so-called gods, that have just utterly fallen in the face of the king of Assyria. Uh, and you think that your God will be any different. You know, you'd be foolish. Look at this long, I mean, he basically goes through this military resume of all of their victories and said, how are you going to fare any different? How, are, how will you be different? And who is this God, of this, this Yahweh? What's so special about him? Nothing. That's, that's the idea. So, Forsake him and come and just and just give yourself over. Let's let's spare ourselves of the bloodshed. That that's kind of, I think, what he's what he's trying to get across. Okay, so very much an anti-Christian figure here, as Pastor Rody pointed out last week. Vicar, yes. I was going to just mention that isn't this similar to the temptation of Christ in the desert? You know that here I'll give you all this and give up. Exactly. All and there and there it's even it's taken to its conclusion, right? Um, all the kingdoms of the earth I will give to you if you will but bow down and worship me. 
That's yeah, great connection there, Barry. Great connection because yeah, that's um, you see it. You see this kind of theology and uh, temptation epitomized there, you know. And what separates uh, well, well, the great difference I think between the temptation of Christ and the temptation of Adam and Eve is that you know Adam and Eve had everything. They had the fullness of the garden, all the trees except for one that they could make for food. I mean, they were the the pinnacle of creation. They had everything provided for them, and yet they went after the one thing that God said, "You you shall not eat of this." Whereas with Christ, he had nothing. He had been fasting for day forty days in the desert, and very weak, and you know he had absolutely nothing and everything to to gain so to speak, by going after what the devil said, but Christ said no. He's, he didn't do it. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, that's a great connection and, and uh, definitely something to keep in mind. So, nice, nicely done, Barry. You know, in our time, we, the temptation is to believe in science and the government mm -hmm. and, and give up what our promises God has given us to the new heaven and earth and the treasures that are promised to us take our eyes off of that right. and dependence on God and go and depend on, you know, reason, our reason, you know, and yeah. Yeah. And people, uh, you know, atheists and, and I like to think of, uh, communists as well. They, they, uh, they envision this utopia where the, uh, the, you know, the proletariat will rise up and seize the means of production and usher in a utopia where everything, they, no, nobody has any private property, everybody is perfectly at peace, and there's no more war and bloodshed because it's all, everything is ultimately just uh, economic strife, right? That's how the communists think. And uh, as soon as we can just overthrow the government and the capitalist system, then everything will be right with the world. See, that's... But... You know, it's just, it's just, again, the lies of the devil. This is just, it's a false promise and false utopia that's held out to people. Because that root of it is, is a, it's, it's a problem in the human nature, and that's what the communists don't understand. But anyway, sorry, I'm a, I'm a political thought major, so I, uh, I, it is interesting, the theological implications of, of uh, you know, economic systems and philosophies like that. But, yes? Study Bible. I do. Bible. Yes. If I just glanced down at eighteen, thirteen through thirty-seven at the bottom, mm -hmm. and um, may maybe we should read that out loud. It's starting with "At times, we may grow discouraged." Mm -hmm. At times, we may grow discouraged that there are no good leaders left. Be assured, the Lord always leads his people and can raise up faithful leaders for them. Pray for your leaders, entrusting them to Christ Jesus, the Good Shepherd. He will faithfully lead you in the way of peace. Yeah, that's... <laughs> We're talking about peace. Yeah, talking about peace. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, I suppose I shouldn't get overtly political, but uh, it's... Uh, yeah, uncomfortable pause and uh, solemn reflection, I, I guess, are in order. Um, you know, and that's a great question. You know, what what do we do when you see the rest of the world apparently just bowing the knee to Baal and going after pagan gods and forsaking the true God? What do you do? Um, you know, people will have different answers. 
But at the at the root of all of it, I I do think that we need to take the Lord's admonition to Elijah to heart, and that is that the Lord will keep seven thousand who will not bow the knee to Baal, no matter how bleak things seem, especially with our political leaders and and what have you. Um, the Lord will preserve faithful Christians to the end, and and that is that is always something that has grounded me no matter what has happened, you know, especially with the death toll uh, by virtue of Roe v. Wade. I think we're at over 62 million children that have been aborted in our country since the 70s. And, um, you know, people, our politicians exporting our idolatry across, like, overseas, you know, to other countries, taxpayer-funded abortions, and making this supposedly human right available to other people groups i mean it's it's just it's horrific and uh it i fear what judgment will come on our nation because of it that we would bring other people other peoples into that idolatry and that horrible abomination you know we should fear what is coming but the lord will sustain us through it we know that he's going to take care of us so yeah sober reflections sober reflections these are these things are good i think um, very fruitful to think about when we read texts like this. So, well, let's press on. Um, all right, so uh, in verse 36, but the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. So clothe, tearing of, of uh, clothes, rending of garments, this is a sign of deep distress. Uh, is, is probably not any great surprise there, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, what, what more can you do uh, than, you know, just tear your clothes at the seams and just to show that you're, you're undone and the situation is dire and perhaps beyond hope? Um, and that's how these these uh, officials are coming to King Hezekiah, just to illustrate the, the the gravity of the situation. So as we go into chapter nineteen, then verse one, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he t he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. So he likewise tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth. This is a, a symbol of repentance and. Uh, deep, deep humility. These sackcloths were sometimes woven out of black goat hair. Um, not the most fashionable or comfortable <laughs> material. <laughs> but it, you know, it, it, I think it does, yeah, it, it is a, you know, powerful symbol of humility and, and deep distress to, to array yourself like that and then to go into the house of the Lord, so the temple. So that's and this this is what we should do when when things are dire and beyond our control, and we realize that we cannot deliver ourselves. Uh, this is exactly what we should do: go into the house of the Lord and seek Him, seek His help. Um, and the Hezekiah certainly knew that, and we see a, we have a great a great example here in him. So in verse 2, and he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priests, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, 
This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. All right, so not only is the king in sackcloth now, but his officials are as well, and they present themselves to the prophet uh, Isaiah. And this is all, all of this, too, is, is uh, recorded in the, in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah's scroll. So you can, you can find these in the 30s, uh, some, somewhere in there. Uh, all of this, this, these very things are recorded. So, um, yeah, so this, this curious phrase, children have come to the point of birth and there is no strength to bring them forth. What does this mean? Well, I think the study note uh, brings it out, if I'm not mistaken. If it's not here, it's in Isaiah, uh, verse 3. Yeah, Hezekiah fears that the Lord is forsaking them, no strength to bring them forth. So basically, it's the idea that... Um, like a child is is uh, ready to be born, the the, Jew, the Jews uh, or the the Jerusalem people are ready to. They need to be delivered, but they cannot do it themselves. That's the idea. So just like a child needs to be needs to come out of the birth canal and 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 be delivered, the child cannot do it himself. Uh, he needs 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 help to to do that. Uh, so they are recognizing their their position of complete helplessness but without the Lord, and they are coming to him to seek his help. So, uh, let's see, verse 4, it may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. So here we're reminded also of David and Goliath, too. If you remember, the great Philistine comes out and mocks all the people. He comes day after day and is challenging, you know, who among you will come and defeat me? Um, and then, of course, you see David, the shepherd boy, come out. And, of course, he's the laughingstock of everybody and, and uh, slays the great giant, cuts off his head, and, and uh, it's a stunning victory. Every, all the... All the Philistine army were routed, and, and they fled in great horror because they never thought this would be possible. Well, we're going to see this, this sort of thing happen again. So um, let's continue. So mocking the living God, never a good idea. Let's just put it, let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Remnant, that is, that is a key word, a key theme, especially in the prophets. This idea that God will preserve his, God will preserve maybe not a sizable ma majority or even a sizable minority, but he will nevertheless preserve people who are faithful to him and, and give them salvation. Salvation which they couldn't have on their own. Right? And I think probably the most, uh, well, one of the most brilliant examples of that in the Old Testament is without a doubt Noah. Noah and his family. And eight souls in all were saved, even despite this this worldwide flood that the Lord brought on, uh, because of the, the the rampant wickedness that He found. Um, the Lord did sustain a remnant to repopulate the earth, and now in these latter days, the church is going to be the true church is that remnant, uh, which will fill the earth and subdue it uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. So. Yeah, this, this idea of the remnant is a huge, huge theme in not just the Old Testament, but in all of Scripture, and especially in the prophets. It's definitely one to, to, to keep track of. 
Uh, let's just go a little bit further and we can stop to, to ponder this if we like. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Okay. So, do not be afraid. That's the first thing. Do not be afraid. And this echoes also, I think, Joshua. You know, be strong and courageous as they are going forth into the, the, the Canaanite lands. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. And, you know, that's, that's what you see. Do, but here they're not going on the offensive, really. It's going to be the Lord who goes on the offensive for them. Do not be afraid because of these words, these things which, which have no doubt gripped the hearts and minds of the people of Jerusalem. You know, their city is about to fall, and they're being held out, these promises of deliverance, this false deliverance from the Rabshakeh. And, you know, that's, that's their, it's seemingly their one way of escape. But the prophet says, no, don't be afraid. Um, I will put a spirit. So in this, this idea of the spirit, I think the, the study note does a good job here. In uh, 197, the Lord would set in motion a feeling of fear in his heart. Okay, and then the Hebrew word is usually translated report or news, right, for rumor. So, um, you know, here, here you have a, a, great, a, a great thing because you really see that, that even the hearts of kings are, are in the hands of the Lord. You know, these boisterous and pompous kings who think that they can control everything and, and, and rule as they see fit, you know, according to the things which they, they think are in their hands. Well, really, God has these kings in his hands, and he can do with their hearts and lead them where he will and show his mastery over them as the king of kings, you see. Um, but you can see how, how difficult it would be for the people to believe and, and, and difficult it would be for them to hold this trust. You know, you have all of the, this great army before them and all of these other cities have fallen and they're the next one on the chopping block. Their, their Israelite neighbors to the north have fallen and been scattered and, you know, they, they're in a very precarious spot. But, uh, you see, <laughs> You see this promise of, of deliverance, and this is what they, they need to hold on to. That's, that's what they need to hold on to. So, in any case, any questions or comments uh, at this point? This kind of seems like, yeah. oh, it seems like you always need to look, we, the hardest part, we need to look with our spiritual eyes mm -hmm. on this whole thing, because like you said, you're always looking at the physical, just like... Mm -hmm. You know, in the Garden of Eden, she's looking at the physical mm -hmm. and not the spiritual eyes. And this is the same thing here. They, that's all they see is this army surrounding them. And that's what strikes me. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, I'm like you, though, I have a real hard time when you mock God. You almost always want to stand clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's great. That's exactly right, Chris. Exactly right. Yeah, I take a few steps back and may, maybe put some sunglasses on and kind of, you know, do one of these yeah. because you don't want to be near them when, when uh, judgment comes. But, uh, yeah, looking, looking through the eyes of faith, that is, that is totally uh, 
I mean, that is, that is an entirely biblical and Christian thought, to see with the eyes of faith. Um, and really, that's what you see all throughout the Gospels when the Lord Jesus heals people who are born blind or who, have, or who are afflicted with blindness. That is an image of the true restoration of sight, which is faith in, in God, in Yahweh, and especially trust in the Lord Jesus as Messiah. That is, that is truly to see, is to see Jesus as Messiah, the one who has bled and died for the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of our salvation. So, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, anybody else that I'd ask? All right, let's continue. Verse 8. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he heard that the king had left Lachish. Um, let's turn to the, the next page. You can see where these cities are. Six, page 615. If you're looking at Jerusalem, Libna and Lachish are to the southwest. So in the near vicinity, not, not super far away, but not all that close, I suppose. Um, so in, the, in a nearby city, nearby cities, that's, that's where uh, the focus is here. Um, so going to verse 9. Now the king heard concerning uh, Tirhaka, king of Cush, behold, he has set out to fight against you. So he sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the things of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction, and shall you be delivered? Yeah, so here again, here again you see the Rabshakeh doubling down on, on his earlier message, saying, okay, look, even if all this other stuff is going on, don't think that this is gonna, you're going to be spared because of all this. This is nothing. This, this fighting going on in Libna and, and uh, Lachish, that's, that, that's not of any consequence. You're, you're next on the chopping block, and you will fall. And you're, this God that you believe in is not going to do anything. Don't let him deceive you. But what are these words themselves? Deceit. That's what they are. Right? They're not just words. It's, this is just pure poison. This is what it is. And shall you be delivered? And then verse 12. Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed? Gozan. Yeah, here, here again you get this, this list. Gozan, Haran, Rezef. And the people of Eden who were in Telassar, where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city Sepharvaim, the king of Hena, or the king of Eva? So he goes right back to this resume of victories and saying, look, you will not fare any better. We've done all of this before, and you're no different. So let's see what happens then. Hezekiah's prayer in verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. 
Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. Right, so you can kind of see where Hezekiah is going to go with this. You know, he's, he's looking at, he, he's looking as Chris suggested, with the eyes of faith. He's saying, you know, okay, he's acknowledging the fact that the kings of Assyria have done great damage to the nations, to the surrounding uh, nations and cities, and has indeed thrown their gods into the fire. But what, how, does he, how does he then qualify that? For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. So now you can see sort of the setup for uh, Hezekiah's plea. He's acknowledging Yahweh as the true God, the one true God who can't be thrown into the fire. And on that basis of being king of heaven and earth, lord of heaven and earth, the one who created all things, um, he, he's, he's on that basis, he's saying, help us, Lord. You alone are the true Lord, true God, and with you we will not be destroyed. So we, we'll, we'll see that as we go forward. Um, in verse 19, So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may... Uh, may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So there you have it. And I think that um, I don't. I don't know that Hezekiah's prayer was meant to be. Uh, I don't. I don't know that it was meant to be just limited to like all the kingdoms of the vicinity. You know, this of the of the earth of the land in Hebrew, like the the nearby all the nearby peoples. I think you know this is supposed to be. I think you can definitely take it this way, that this, this, this salvation is meant to be universal and worldwide in scope, and that this, this kind of deliverance will be what, what distant peoples hear and, and come to know about who God is and what he's doing and what he will do for them. Um, so in, the, in that sense, it'll, it, it's almost like an, uh, a tool of evangelism, you know, singing of the, of the Lord's, recounting the Lord's awesome deeds. Um, you know, Hezekiah, in the back of his mind, as a good Jew, he knows that the Lord brought uh, Israel out of bondage from Egypt in the great exodus. And with that in his mind and everything that has preceded, he knows who God is and what he's capable of, and he, 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 he fully trusts in the Lord's ability to, to deliver his people. Despite all the odds, despite all the, you know, the professional analysis, despite in everything, he, he knows the truth. He knows that God is able to deliver them. Uh, Barry first, and then Chris. Uh, Hezekiah's prayer reminds me of the promise that God gave to Solomon when the temple was being dedicated. You know, and God said to Solomon, if my, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, I will deliver them. So, I mean, it looks like Hezekiah knew that promise 300 years before, so given to uh, Solomon, and he's, he's enacting it. He's praying. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. That's very well said. Very well said. I didn't, that, that connection didn't come to mind, but you're absolutely right. And um, I, I would note, too, the, the apparent folly uh, of this kind of thing, too, of prayer to God in times of distress. You know, People nowadays just don't, you know, in every time of, of crisis, you, you know, you hear people, oh, well, thoughts and prayers uh, go out to the family and to whomever, and this is mocked 
as like, well, what's that going to do? You know, we need more legislation. We need better this, and we need more funding here, and we need this, and we need this, and we need this. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a time for good public policy, but what I am saying is, first and foremost, our response should be that of Hezekiah, like you said, humbling yourself and calling on the Lord, calling on the Lord. And that's, he is our true deliverance from everything. Um, everything else is just tangential and penultimate, really. Like everything that afflicts us in this life, you know, even the really, really bad things. I mean, yeah, we need deliverance from those too, but the ultimate deliverance is that which only God can give, and that's from sin and death. And um, if, he'll, if he'll give us deliverance from those things, surely he will allow us to weather what other, these other storms and perhaps even deliver us from other, you know, what, what, what we would think as major crises. You know, but prayer to the Lord, that's key. Um, and when you're saying, so that's what I think it's Peter or Paul that writes of the works of men's hand of wood and stubble, where he talks about the other gods, they have mouths, but they don't speak, yeah. ears, they don't hear. That's, yeah. So that's what he's, Paul's getting from? I do believe so, yeah. And especially Isaiah 44 is a is a great passage on uh the the nature of idols and um you see you see a really interesting thing throughout the scriptures and that is you th this idea that you become like that which you worship right i think pastor mentioned this a little while ago you become like that which you worship and so when you see people whose ears and eyes these sensory organs that malfunction um, that is because in God's righteous judgment, he has said, okay, if you, you see these, how, these idols, these figurines made of wood and clay, they cannot of themselves see or hear or anything despite they, them having these features. And so if that's the God that you're worshiping in, I'm going to make you like that God. You will not see, you will not hear, right? And, the, and like spiritually, this is the case, you see. And so what a... What an amazing thing then that that Christ restores sight to the blind. He he unstops the ears. He loosens the tongue, and um, you, you know these are physical things reflecting a spiritual reality. And that is that uh, as we worship the true God, and especially in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, who can of Himself see and hear and taste and and all of these things, all these sensory organs. They no longer malfunction when we trust in the Lord Jesus because he makes us like himself, right? And this is, it's an amazing thing. So, um, yeah, you see these, the, uh, and, and this is another th interesting thing too, and that is that the people who worship these false gods end up sharing the fate of those gods, right? So these gods that are thrown into the fire, that's what's going to happen to people who worship them. And, you know, worshiping false gods, for ultimately for unbelievers, they're going to go to the eternal fire. Whereas we worship the true God, and the Lord Jesus Christ was taken up into heaven, and so we too will be taken up into heaven, you see. Like, where the head goes, the body follows, right? This kind of idea. So, these, there's big concepts at play, and, and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta pay attention, you know? It's, it's really rich, it's really rich stuff if you know what to look for. Anybody else? Anyone? Okay, cool. All right, verse 20. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. 
This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you, she scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel? By your messengers you have mocked the Lord. And you have said, With my many chariots I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I entered its farthest lodging place, place its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters, and I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. So you can see in the in the prophets, uh, or well, in the Lord's words here through the prophet, you you see he diagnoses the, their spiritual malady, and that is their pride. Look look at look at what is going on here. Um, against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes? Uh, in sort of like a like an arrogant way, like this kind of thing, like lifting up your your face and in you know this pride and just like, who are you? You know you're not going to do anything to me. Um, by your messengers you've mocked the Lord. And then look at look at all of this down here in verse 23. With my many chariots, so here's military technology and military might. I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, the far recesses of Lebanon. So basically, what we're seeing here is. No matter how high, no matter how low, no matter how far, uh, these people have have gone there. They have done it themselves by their efforts, and it's yeah by their own efforts they have conquered, and will conquer. And no one's going to stand in their way. Not the heights of the mountains, not the, the the density of the forests. Nothing will stand in their way. And and look, notice how often, notice how prominent this I is. I have gone. I felled its feet, its tallest cedars. I entered. It's farthest lodging place. I dug wells and drank foreign waters. So, you, I mean, this is, this is pride on full display here. And, um, you know, as, as the scriptures say, pride goeth before the fall. And fall Assyria did, as we will see. All right, so um, in verse 25, Have you not heard that I determined it long ago, I planned them, I planned from days of old what I now bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown. So here you see the Lord saying, don't you understand that all everything that these th all these things that you think that you've done by your own strength and of your own initiative, with your own power, I am the one who set all of these things into motion. I'm the reason that you have all this strength that you boast in. I'm the reason. I have determined this long ago. Look what he says. What I now what I now bring to pass. You see. So it, before you had the people saying. Uh, or the the king of Assyria saying, "I have I have ascended to the heights. I have done this. I I I." Well, now the Lord says, "I planned it from days of old. What now I bring to pass?" You see. So all of history. I mean, this is this is really powerful. All of history, all the kingdoms of the earth, everything that happens is not apart from the 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 authority and power of God. All things are in His hands. 
nothing is outside of it. And even people who boast in their own apparent strength, their own prosperity, the Lord with just one breath can knock them completely, like a, like a heap of dry leaves in the summer. They will fall, and they will not be able to do anything about it. I mean, who, who is going to fight against what the Lord has decreed and planned from long ago? This, this is already, it's, it's done. You're not, what are you going to do? You see, and that's, that's the Lord's rebuttal here, and it's a powerful one. Going on in verse 27, but I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me. Okay, so um, this this is a a great prophetic statement. In the, in prophecy, you you do need to pay attention to um, numbers and the way that numbers are used. So I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me. So very often four especially in prophetic literature, is a number that connotes completeness and fullness, thoroughness, um, the, the totality of something. Kind of like in Revelation where you have the four living creatures, or the four, you have the four winds, right? the four corners of the earth. right? It's this idea of, of completeness, of wholeness. So basically what Yahweh is saying here is, I know everything about you. I know all of your activities. I know all, intimately all of your workings and... Even those things which are hidden, you're going out, you're coming in. I know everything. Not, nothing is hidden before me. Um, uh, just, again, really really cutting down to size these, these people who are so prideful and boastful in themselves. Um, none of this is, is uh, unknown or unforeseen by the Lord. And then in verse 28, Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. So uh, this, this is a, a very interesting image too. I believe it was the Babylonians, if I'm not mistaken, who would, when they would lead people into exile, actually put fish hooks in their nose, and, um, and they would drag them along like this um, as a very painful and degrading, humiliating way of going into exile. And what God is saying is, yeah, I'm going to do that to you. Um, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be embarrassing. And you, you who are so boastful, uh, you're going to be treated like an animal. Because look, look what he says, and I, in my bit in your mouth. So God is going to be able to control them, you know, just like you would control a, a horse or something like that. Um, so yeah, very, very, very powerful imagery, very powerful rhetoric coming from the Lord here. And I will turn you back on the way by which you came. Um, and I kind of take this in a in sort of a broad sense to mean like, you know, you you came uh, with the sword devouring one thing and another, and going here wherever you you know wherever you think you want and 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 whatever. Well, by that same way, by the sword and by um, well, another thing, too, is the way that they would treat other people. You know, these Assyrians, they were brutal, brutal people. And they, they, did not, they were not concerned with being merciful or showing mercy or kindness or anything like that. If anything, it was this false kind of kindness that they're holding out to the people of Jerusalem. And with that same brutality, it's kind of like what our Lord says to Peter. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Um, I think that's kind of in view here. You know, the same, with the same judgment with which you judge others, you will be judged. So, 
they're going to these Assyrians are going to be turned back in a in a rather spectacular and brutal way. So, any any comments, questions, Barry? Um, seems to me this is God giving the, the latter half through the prophet Isaiah his resume as to what he's done, and it reminded me of uh, Job. You know, where God spoke to Job in chapter 38, you know, where were you yeah. when I was creating the foundation of the world and so forth? Puts everybody into perspective. So yeah. it's, it's very comforting. So I don't know how many more places there are in the Bible. It would be interesting to gather those, quote, what I humbly call the resume of God, <laughs> his power. Nice. Good to put that together. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I love that. The resume of God, yes. The resume of God. Well, in a certain sense, it's, it's kind of like the, the, the names who are included in the book of life. You know, every, every single name in that book is a story of deliverance and victory and conquering of the devil and his forces. And, um, you know, all of these minor victories of, of uh, on both sides of the cross, too. You know, the Old Testament saints and the martyrs and Paul and, and, and all, all of these, these stories of deliverance and triumph and victory, all of them crescendo in the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of them are caught up into that reality and made one with it. And, um, you know, in Christ, you have all of these things. You have all these victories that are really inevitable because of the power of God. Um, that's a, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, this resume. I, I would love to write a paper on that. That's great, Barry. You're gonna you're gonna give me the ammunition I need when I go back to the seminary. The resume of God. Yes, wonderful. All right. Well, let's get just a little bit further, if we can. I'd love to see if we can. Um, get to the Lord's uh, mighty action uh, against Assyria. So in verse 29, And this shall be the sign for you this year, eat what grows of itself, and in the second year what springs of the same. Then in the third year sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. So we have a, a, a different subject of the uh, direct discourse here going on in verse 29. So, whereas before the Lord was speaking to Assyria, now he's speaking to the people of Jerusalem and the, and the, and Judah as a whole. This shall be the sign for you. So this year, eat what grows of itself. So because of the, um, the warfare, they weren't able to, uh, plant their crops and harvest them like they would normally. Um, so here, as I think what the study note puts is, um, voluntary, voluntary harvesting. So just taking what's available, do that. So there's some hardship implied here in this sign. The second year, what springs of the same. And then in the third year, right? So notice the emphasis on the, on the third, uh, what comes in, in order here in the, in, the, in the number three. Then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. So there's that number four again too. So sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. So you've got the fullness of their restoration after the Lord delivers them from the Assyrians. And all of this coincides with the third year, just like Christ rose on the third day, and that was the victory uh, that, that all of God's people had in the Lord Jesus. So now in the third year, you're going to sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. So all will be restored in the third year. But there will be hardship before you get there. That's kind of the idea here. 
and the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. So here you see this, this idea of the remnant again in the house of Judah and taking root. So it's like Judah is a, is a tree, is a plant, taking root downwards and bearing fruit upwards. Um, so there's this idea of growth, this natural organic growth that the Lord himself brings about. And you see the, the zeal of the Lord will do this, right? So from this band of survivors, you know, out of Jerusalem will go a remnant. You know, this, this prophecy of, of um, deliverance and restoration is what we see here. So just as the land is restored, so too will the people of God be restored. Right? And you know, take that to its conclusion. Christ is our holy land. He is himself that which we are incorporated into. And with the resurrection of Jesus, you have our resurrection. You have, with the resurrection of Christ and his restoration, you have the restoration of humanity out of death. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's, that, that's a, a really powerful thing here to, to take note of. But let's try to get a little bit further. Um, you know, we're, we're, I guess we're out of time, sorry. <laughs> I really wanted to get to this too, but we'll give Pastor Rody if he continues next week, he'll get the... Um, you know, the Old Testament is kind of like a water slide. Uh, you you got to do some work at the beginning, but then you get to the, these parts where it's just wonderful and, and just joyous. And, and it's like the whole Old Testament is, is that ladder upwards. And then the New Testament is this, this, this downward slide into, into joy and, and bliss. That's, that's the way I like to look at it. Um, uh, let's let's close with Luther's morning prayer, if we can. Does does everybody know that prayer? Do, do you all know it? Okay. Let me. It's been a little while since I've even said this prayer, but I would like to go back over it. Daily prayers. All right. Let's pray. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. All right, thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.